Welcome to Soups On with Dr. Stephen Cook, Superintendent for Ben Lapine Schools. In every podcast, Dr. Cook is serving up the latest news about our schools. Tune in to stay informed about key topics and go behind the scenes to learn more about our great schools and community. Find all the Soups On podcasts at bls.fyi slash podcast. That's bls.fyi slash podcast. And now, here's Dr. Cook. Welcome to the Soup is On podcast. I am your host, Dr. Stephen Cook, superintendent of the Ben Lapine Schools. On the Soup is On podcast, we talk about all things public education, specifically as they relate to our Ben Lapine Schools and the greater community here in Central Oregon. This week's topic is legislation that was passed last year. We refer to it here in the district and I think across the state in Oregon as every student belongs and the steps that we are taking to make our schools free from hate. I'm very excited to have as our guest today to help us unpack this legislation, our Director of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, Kinsey Martin. Welcome, Kinsey. Thank you. So first of all, let's start off with the basics. For, let's get to know you a little better. What's your role here in our schools? It's a big one and you have I'm excited to tell our listeners not only the perspective from uh, your role as a director, but a perspective as a former student as well. And we're going to dive into that a little later. But let's get to know you, um, maybe your educational history, and what got you from uh, beginning in the field of education to this position and the work that we're doing here. Yeah, sure. Um, my, I come from a family of educators. My uh, grandma was a science teacher. Uh, here in Bend, and both of my parents are educators, uh, so it was a sort of natural step for me. I started as a bilingual teacher, uh, ELL teacher, instructional coach, um, and then most recently this role serving our our schools as diversity, equity, and inclusion director. Um, that role, I think, is um, developing constantly. Uh, right now, I see it as one of partnerships. Um, I don't, you know, design solutions or work in isolation. My role is really about process and um, partnerships across the organization. Um, different roles in our schools, um, students, families, staff, um, finding ways that we can grow and improve together. Um, and I think one, one key part of my role is uh, trying a little bit to agitate our system and try to break down barriers that prevent us from hearing voices that we need to hear the most, um, you know, being our students, I think, at, at the core. So thanks, Kinsey. We're so glad to have you here. So I'll, I'll, full disclosure, this is going to be an interesting topic for us to unpack. There's lots of interest in our community about this topic for lots of different reasons. We aren't going to be able to go through all of that today, but I do want to really dive into why the legislation was seen as important. Um, why it was passed, um, what there, there's a lot of terms that people may not necessarily know. And as we talk about that, those terms and the relevance and defining things like hate crimes and incidences of biases and uh, microaggressions and all those things, there's so much for our listeners who to kind of learn about this. Today is a little more a little more background on why this legislation is so important. So, Kinsey, can you talk just a little bit about what got us to this point? Why the 
the Oregon State Legislature took this on and what uh, what necessitated that, what it what is at its root levels, what are the pieces of it that are going to uh, maybe be experienced by both our students and our families as we start to get more of a, a universal and, and ubiquitous understanding of how our school environments might have to change or have already changed in some regards. Yeah, for sure. I think it's important to acknowledge that the first thing we're probably all going to experience around this topic is uh, discomfort. Uh, this is hard stuff to talk about as a community. It's not something that we as adults um, really learned how to talk about in school ourselves. And so as we navigate, you know, values and um, individualism and being part of a community together, this is just hard stuff. So I think we can all anticipate that that will be part of the process and um, and it's important. So, um, so really I think every student belongs is at its heart, it's about bias, um, stereotypes, uh, which is a really big topic. Um, social stereotypes or those snap judgments that we make about other people, we all we all do that. Um, every one of us has been, you know, the victim of that to some degree in different situations, whether it's about our gender, our religion, our race, our military status. We've all experienced uh, being the victim of bias or stereotype. Um, and we've all made those snap judgments about one another at some point. Um, there is a, there's a brain basis for why we do that. Um, you know, our, our brains um, do that to be efficient and, um, and to keep us safe. And so it's not a fault thing. Um, you know, we're not talking about um, shame or blame or judgment. Um, it's just, uh, you know, important for us to think about the impact on one another in a community and in particular on our students. Um, as you know, the youth in our community. Um, so we really need to get better at talking about uh, bias, noticing it, um, and being thoughtful in our responses when it happens. Um, so I think this legislation is, is the state's attempt for us to all um, lean into that conversation together and integrate um, shared responses into our policies and practices. So Kinsey, what does every student belong? This legislation um, was intended to impact the environment in our schools. Um, so first of all, let's talk a little bit about what's the end product of it and how does it live in our schools? And as our responsibility, uh, ODE expects us, the Oregon Department of Education expects us to implement every aspect of this legislation. Um, what's our responsibility to make sure that that's happening and what does that look like in our schools? Every Student Belongs does two things. Um, it first it requires that schools respond in a certain way when bias happens when students or um, others in our system including you know families and staff members um, when we experience bias or stereotype um, you know in, a, in that negative way um, this legislation requires us to respond restoratively so instead of punishing someone um, for having a bias um, or you know acting on that bias maybe knowingly or unknowingly it requires us to um, take a restorative um, and educational response so that we all learn together and get better together so that's the first requirement is um, you know we, we can't just punish we have to um, restore communication and uh, try to move forward as a learning community. 
the second piece that it requires is um, understanding when that line, when we've moved out of bias and into something else. So, um, you know, there's, there's lots of incidents that happen in our schools and in our community that can be explained by bias, where we can say, you know, I didn't mean it that way, or, you know, that's not what I intended. Um, but then there are some situations where you can't really say, oops, I didn't, I didn't know I would have that impact. Um, and those, those situations are pretty um, different from, uh, from a bias incident. A uh, few examples in this legislation, uh, for example, the use of imagery that involves a noose. Uh, there is no reason to be, um, you know, using an image of a noose in communicating, um, you know, with, with peers in the cafeteria or, um, you know, that type of drawing or, or other use of that symbol other than to communicate hate. And so this legislation makes it really clear that um, we need to address bias and stereotype and, and learn and grow together restoratively and that um, the use of, of a noose, for example, is um, does not fall into the category of, um, you know, that, that same level of response. Uh, two other symbols that fall into that category would be uh, the swastika and the Confederate flag. Those are three symbols that the state of Oregon has said uh, have no place in our schools and that the only um, purpose of those symbols is to communicate uh, hatred and division within a community. Uh, those symbols were identified by students from around the state who um, worked with our state level leadership to um, to determine the impact of those on our youth and to say those don't make any of us feel comfortable and they don't have productive value in our classrooms. Uh, so those are the two things that this legislation um, requires, that restorative response and then uh, prohibiting those three symbols. The exception there would be, you know, for example, the Confederate flag is an important part of our country's history and not something that uh, anybody intends to erase um, or, you know, hide. It's something we all need to learn about. And so with the, within the context of curriculum and learning, we might show some of those symbols very carefully and in a supported way so that our students can, can learn and we can talk about these things together. So that's a big deal. And, and just clearly delineating this is about hate and it's uh, those three symbols are are in the in a category of their own. Can you back up just for a second and just clarify what what does restoration mean when we talk about restorative practices? What does that mean in the regards of a student event? You know, maybe a kid uh, says something disparaging to another student, and um, we start talking about uh, re implementing restorative practices. What does that What does that look like? It, that's I think those are terms that might some of our parents might know about, but maybe not all. For sure, that's definitely something that um, many of us growing up in schools didn't necessarily experience. I think most of us are used to when there's an incident between students um, that we have discipline practices like you know suspending a student or uh, in school or out of school suspension, that type of um, more more punishment consequence based approach. Um, this legislation asks us to respond restoratively, and what that means is that we first and foremost 
center the victim of the incident and make sure that the the target or the recipient of the the bias in that situation um, that we start there and we think about what does that student or individual need uh, to repair the harm that they experienced and um, and it definitely requires dialogue and um, discomfort like we talked about earlier um, often it looks like a, a facilitated conversation between uh, the individuals involved and some reflection together um, and and shared learning but um, always you know we can get to a place where the uh, person who made the comment or um, you know had that impact can share their intent but the focus is not on explaining you know I didn't mean that or that wasn't what I intended the focus is on making sure that the person who experienced the harm um, is is taken care of first and foremost um, and that we all learn together so it sounds to me a little bit like this is we're trying to actually base this in empathy and that we're trying to listen for ways in which my actions may have harmed another person and trying to work people through those kind of conversations is that a fair summary absolutely that's that's definitely um the approach and you know again not from the place of shame or blame or judgment of um each of us as we all discover our own biases about one another um but really just um learning how to understand one another and and definitely develop that empathy so thanks for clarifying that. Okay, so I want to go back to these symbols. I'll just, I'm just going to ask you outright, because I know you deal with this often in your role uh, across the district. Do we see those, any of those three symbols in our schools? Do we see uh, nooses or Confederate flags or uh, swastikas in our schools? I would say we don't often see those three symbols being used or communicated um, with the intent to harm, certainly. It does happen. Um, much more frequently what we see is that unconscious bias happening. Uh, you know, we're all human and we all make those mistakes. Um, we also see lots of different symbols and images that mean different things to different people. I think that's something our community is struggling with locally and around the state as well. Just um, for one person, what, it, what is a demonstration of freedom and pride and celebration might be uncomfortable to another person. And so, you know, we're not in the business of banning everything that is uncomfortable to anyone. Uh, so what we are trying to do is focus on dialogue and connection and um, sitting together as humans to learn about our shared history and um, the personal significance that different symbols might have for different communities and um, ultimately really how we balance our rights as individuals with our responsibilities as community members. Um, so really that's I think the more frequent conversation that we're having. We sometimes see those three symbols being used. Um, I, I would say in my experience it's gen generally a student maybe not realizing the full history that comes with some of those symbols and just um, you know either thinking they're joking or um, or doodling something that they saw and thinking it's a joke and then um, upon you know conversation with uh, staff and some restorative um, conversation really understanding and being very willing to uh, do their part in repairing that harm and, and for the most part our families in those conversations are also very eager to um, to learn and grow together but that's definitely not frequent in our schools so 
if we you say not frequent but that means it doesn't that it's not absent so what do we do when we we have an issue in which one of these three symbols or multiple symbols are discovered in one of our schools what's the process where we're guided by this uh by every student belongs to address it so t- tell us how that's that's being done yeah, the first um, the first thing that we are that we've been working on is making sure that we, as a system, are aware of when this is happening, um, and that we address it together as a community, um, because these are these are delicate and difficult topics, and so um, we have a reporting system that we are working on for our staff to be able to communicate when something like this happens. Um, so that we can get a, sen- a better sense of you know how often it's happening and where and when and um, then be able to respond. So the very first thing that happens is that gets reported, um, and then we we put heads together and we think about um, again the the target or the recipient or you know the the victim of the the symbol or the communication if it was targeted at someone. Um, how we address that. Um, often it's not necessarily targeted directly at a person, it's just a symbol that's being used, and we still treat that very seriously. Um, we you know, pull some folks together and we talk about um, you know, what does that individual need if there was an individual um, impacted, and next we talk about you know, the person who was using the symbol or um, or demonstrating the behavior, what does that person need as far as learning and how do we um, engage in conversation? Immediately we will bring the family into the conversation. That's not a conversation we want to have um, in isolation from our community. So um, we we bring the family in and we problem solve together and sit down and and really focus on um, dialogue and what learning needs to occur for everybody. So let's let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, as a relatively new Oregonian, I've been here about five months now. I'm quite proud of my new status. I uh, I'm spending a lot of time learning about the history of our state, and and more specifically here locally in Central Oregon. You grew up in Bend, graduated from one of our high schools, and have pretty significant local context of what it was like to go to our high schools, and how during that time and now in your role as director of of diversity equity and inclusion how have you seen those issues change over time how have you uh what is different now better worse um how have you seen these topics talk uh be talked about differently or uh similarly over those time frames i think looking back um what i remember as far as um you know, open conversation about differences and diversity in our community. Um, When I was a a child growing up and a student in our schools here, what I remember is more conversation around, um, you know, socioeconomic differences and so neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods versus rich neighborhoods. Um, I don't know that that's changed too much. Um, Interestingly, my parents also grew up here and have shared that, you know, what we currently see as poor areas of town or, or the more wealthy areas of town um, have flipped over time. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to see that, um, you know, our, as our community grows, the issue doesn't change, but where it shows up might look a little different. 
I remember having in high school, I remember there being students, newcomer immigrant students um, who didn't you know, yet speak any English um, and were very new to our community. And um, I don't remember a lot of um, you know, conversation about who these new peers were in our school and, um, and how to engage with them. Um, you know, I think looking back at our, our life skills, our students with pretty significant uh, disabilities, I don't remember, I remember there being a, a classroom where these students spent most of their time, but I never knew who were those, um, you know, those kids and what did they do in there. Um, I'm really proud of our, our student services department for their work around inclusion and mental health. I think we've made a lot of progress as a community talking about um, mental health and talking about uh, you know, integrating our students with, um, with disability into our um, school system in a very different way in recent years. Um, so I think that's some growth that we've made. I think one thing that we need to continue to push past as a community is this idea that Bend is um, not diverse. I hear a lot of times that comment made, Bend is just not diverse. Um, and while I think what it's referring to is the fact that, um, you know, we definitely don't have um, the racial diversity that some of our, our bigger cities around the state um, and country have, we certainly have thriving communities of of color and um, of, of different experiences in our community. And uh, I think we need to work really hard at acknowledging that just because, um, you know, some of us don't interact as much within those communities doesn't mean that um, that those folks aren't here and part of our uh, our community together. So I think lots of lots of similarities, um, but it, it sure is nice to see our town growing. Um, and while I might sometimes complain about traffic um, differences from what I remember as a kid, it's, it's nice to see us grow and uh, develop as a community. We want students to feel like they're part of a community. We want students to see themselves in the curricula. We want students to, to be recognized and feel like they are, are known by our teachers. And our teachers and administrators and staff work their tails off to try to make that community exist. Um, but this, it's important to acknowledge that uh, we, we as a community are trying to learn how to do this work better. How do we help our listeners start to think about that? Because I think in some regards, people don't want to ask those questions. They might be willing to Google it or look it up. But when it comes to knowing and understanding how to deal with people that are in either uh, a different race or in uh, a different, uh, their different religion or, or for whatever reason, how do we help people start to build their own internal context around these terms? I think it is important that that we agree as a community to the extent possible to uh, to fumble forward together and to try to um, to engage in the conversation and and stay at the table even when it's uncomfortable and even when um, you know we're being told that we're doing it wrong whether or not um, we agree. I think it's important that we develop empathy for one another and and work hard to really understand where someone is coming from um, and and ask genuine questions of one another and ultimately just be willing to you know sit in some discomfort there are some members of our community who spend most of their time in our community um, 
feeling vulnerable, feeling uncomfortable, um, and others of us who can walk through the community feeling pretty comfortable most of the time. All the more reason that when we get a chance to lean into some discomfort and admit that we messed up or don't know something, um, it's important. I know personally that's that's hard for me. I don't like that feeling. I'm working on being more open about I don't know. I, I need to go learn. And, you know, making those efforts and just acknowledging for myself that, whew, this is hard. So I think that is probably the biggest step. And that when, when something goes wrong and when we make a mistake, not if, that we can stay at the table and keep coming back to the conversation. So really, it seems one of the goals of this legislation is to bring attention to incidences of microaggression, bias, or othering. Um, can you help our listeners with these terms and how we uh, how we approach them? Sure. I think um, you know one example that that pops into my head when I think of a uh, microaggression is the the question that I know some of our students and um, even staff have been asked is, uh, you know, where are you from? Um, st- staff who are you know maybe not white of a different uh, race or ethnicity. Uh, being asked or a student being asked, oh, where are you from? And and they might have been, you know, born and raised here in Bend. And and the questioner maybe having a, a genuine interest in, you know, the person's ethnicity, wanting to learn more about their heritage. And that sometimes that feels like, you know, almost a way of saying, well, you're not from here. You're not part of our community. So where are you from? That is one that I think I've heard Uh, more than once happen in our community. Another one I would say, actually, just thinking about this, is um, pronouncing students' names. I know um, that's one that's come up is just taking role on the first day of class um, and and a student with a name that isn't familiar to a teacher or a, a peer having their name mispronounced, and, and I know many of us can relate to that experience. Maybe an innocent mistake, but when it happens a lot, it can feel frustrating and, you know, invalidating to, to who you are, and often our name is a really important part of our, our heritage, our family. Uh, so that's when I know that students from lots of different backgrounds in our schools have experienced and something we're uh, working on getting better at. So let's let's switch gears again. This, you know, we're Uh, we're still focusing on the same kind of work, but now from the lens of, uh, uh, as an employer, we're also trying to create uh, an inclusive environment as an employer. And so we have about 2,300 employees. And as, as one of the, I think the second largest employer in Central Oregon, we have an obligation to create an environment that is inclusive and people feel welcomed into as well. So talk a little bit about how we have to attend to this work as an employing entity. Sure, this is definitely an area that we are, we have a long ways to go and a lot of interest in improving in this area. We, I mentioned earlier, we're working on reporting um, systems for staff being able to, to share and report when they see or hear something between students. That same system is available for staff as well. So, you know, when staff experience a uh, bias incident personally, they can also report it there. And the same support system and response kicks into gear for our staff. Um, we recognize that our our staff are a pretty key resource for us and really important in our organization. And so, uh, the same. 
resources and um, time and energy goes into supporting them. That's definitely, you know, on the reactive end. We want ultimately to have an organization that, you know, where we're proactively addressing issues so that um, our organization is, is welcoming and inclusive to staff from the beginning. Uh, we have lots of trainings. We offer everything from some required trainings we do at the beginning of the year uh, with every single staff member, as well as you know, reminding folks of our civil rights um, laws and responsibilities. We've been doing a lot of work with our leadership team the past couple years around dialogue and, you know, again, empathy building with one another that very much applies to staff as much as students. And then most recently, we're working on gathering some information from our staff on who our employees are and what it's like to work in our organization so that we um, can design a, a more inclusive organization based on what they tell us they need. So um, we're excited to get to learn more from the voices of our staff members telling us this is who I am, this is what it's like to work here in my shoes, and this is what I would like um, to see happen in our organization. So hopefully more on that soon. So I can imagine in your role, you're actually partnering a lot with our human resources department and how your role overlaps with some of the expectations that we have so that people do have places to turn to when things aren't going well or if something happens in their workplace they have a resource to turn to how do how do those roles overlap yeah for sure that's been an exciting part of my role this year is strengthening that partnership between our uh, diversity equity and inclusion initiatives and our um, human resources department. I get to work alongside staff from lots of different departments and levels and roles. Um, and again, you know, trying to agitate our system a little bit and break down barriers that are preventing us from, from hearing student voices and voices of staff who have um, not always been comfortable or supported in our organization. Um, and then work with those staff members um, to design solutions that that they want to see and finding, you know, connecting employees within the organization as well. There are lots of amazing individuals and amazing things happening. And so often it's just, you know, the solution is as simple as connecting folks with one another and centering the voices of those who know what they need and um, and then making sure that we respond accordingly and, and adjust our systems so that our staff you know, perspective is is built into the supports that we provide them. So I'll be honest, Kinsey, there are a lot of people that share with me that they're just really nervous when it comes to this kind of stuff and that they get, uh, they're afraid to, to do the wrong thing. They're afraid to make a mistake because they don't want to offend anybody. What would you tell me and all of our listeners who are trying to, they, they don't want to offend, they don't want to say the wrong thing and therefore avoid the, those interactions, but they're willing to hear ways to be part of the solution, what, what advice would you give us? I think I would say, I mentioned earlier, and I, I think this applies here as well, stay at the table with us. You know, engage with us. Don't, you know, when, when we each experience a, a negative uh, interaction, don't give up or, you know, shut down, try to, try to stay at the table. I think um, we as adults in our community, not just in our schools, we get so polarized and I think we're all seeing and feeling more and more of that. And I, I really feel like that's because we care. We, we deeply care about things that are important to us. Um, and sometimes 
it's hard to see how someone at the other end of the, the table also cares about the same issue, just coming at it from a different way. And so I think if we can just, you know, continue to talk together, um, first, you know, trying to figure out how do we talk together about hard stuff? How do we do it productively? That will, you know, how do we give each other feedback when things aren't going well? And I think taking care of our teachers is really, really important. Our teachers are doing amazing work. And so, you know, being part of the solution means taking care of our teachers and and not putting them at the center of what we're trying to work through as a community. Yeah, I would agree with that. This is a collective effort, not just uh, not just exp- uh, something to be shouldered by our teachers or administrators, but every single staff member. We want to try to try to do this in such a productive and meaningful fashion and create an environment in which everybody feels like they're part of it. I'm just very grateful for the opportunity to have this time with you today, Kenzie. First of all, thank you. Secondly, I hope you'll come back as we there are so many different topics that we can unpack here when it comes to the work that we're doing in the district and I just recognize right now that you know that, that as a as a white male middle-aged male I I'm speaking from a, a pretty privileged point of view and and I have to recognize that not everybody's path is, has been the same as mine and so I appreciate your perspective and I appreciate the opportunity for us to uh, learn in this work together so thank you thank you all right, folks, that's all for today. I want to thank my guest today, Kinsey Martin, director for DEI for the Ben Lapine Schools and teaching us about the work that we are focused on all uh, across the district, trying to make sure that the legislation that the Oregon State Legislature pushed forward, every student belongs, is implemented across our district and providing uh, great discussion topics about how we are meeting those expectations. If you're interested to learn more about uh, that legislation, we will put a link to uh, the the uh, website, the Oregon Department of Education website where that information is located. It'll be in the show notes for you. Once again, this is a new podcast for the Ben Lapine Schools. If you're pleased with the work we are doing on these podcasts, please subscribe on your podcast provider. Share them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Additionally, if there are topics you'd like us to tackle, please send us a note at podcast at bend.k12.or.us. Also, give us your thoughts and feedback. We're always grateful. Thanks for listening to The Soup's On. Please remember to always support public education. You've been listening to Soup's On with Dr. Stephen Cook, Superintendent for Ben Lapine Schools. Find more episodes at bls.fyi slash podcast. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest, email us at podcast at ben.k12.or.us. Thanks for listening.